0: Welcome to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Rock and I'm your host. back to Gnostic Insights. It's been a year since we've been recording these Gnostic episodes for GnosticInsights.com, and I hope you have gotten some Gnosis out of this experience. What I'm doing is sharing with you my ideas about Valentinian Gnosticism and what I've learned in my studies for many years. The first time I appeared as a guest on Eon Bite Gnostic Radio, Miguel Conner asked me would I like to compare and contrast Sethians to Valentinians, and I said, well, no, <laughs> because I know nothing about Sethians. What I know is the Valentinian scripture, primarily as revealed to us through the tripartite tractate of the Nag Hammadi. But I think it's about high time that I did attempt to compare and contrast Sethian Gnosticism with Valentinian Gnosticism, and I've promised you this on many occasions, so here goes. The first thing I'd like to share concerning the Sethian Gnosticism is that it is very unlike the Valentinian Gnosticism that we have been studying here for the last year. In my opinion... The Valentinian Gnosticism makes logical sense. It actually begins from a first principle being the Father, and it, in a reasonable and logical way, unfurls creation, first in the ethereal realm and then in the material realm. And everything that happens, happens for a reason. You can Almost guess what's going to happen next. It makes sense. So far, what I have learned concerning this Sethian Gnosticism is that it doesn't make as much sense. It's more of a series of stories that are mythological in nature. They are kind of random in their goings-on. The what happens next can go left or right. The who is involved seems not to be based upon, uh, boy, this is really hard to explain. But it's random. To me, it looks like it's chasing a lot of rabbit tracks. First, we're going to think about this, then we're going to go here, then we're going to go there. Oh, let's pull in these characters. Oh, now we're going to rape Eve. It, it, it is not a logical progression. And I'll speak of some of that as the episode goes on. But to me, this is not exactly what I would call gnosis. And gnosis means reason and knowledge. Gnosis proceeds from the Father. Gnosis isn't written and built up by us humans down below. And to me, the Sethian myth appears to be more conjured up than derived from above. Remember, your gnosis has to be reasonable. The gnosis needs to make sense. Gnosis isn't like scholasticism, where you are required to learn and memorize a set of names and occurrences. And you need to have them just right in order to perform this ritual of a quiz or a test. And then you have to pass it in order to proceed and to rise in status. The Valentinian Gnosticism is simple. It's absolutely simple. We come from the Father and to the Father we will return. The Sethian Gnosticism has that in common. They also acknowledge the Father. But then the story gets very muddied up with too many details, in my opinion. So hang in there. That's what I think of this. You can figure out what you think of it yourself. If you'd like to send me a comment, use the comment form. I don't want to open up my uh, space here to arguments. That's why comments are disabled on each post. But you can come to GnosticInsights.com, go to the comments section, and send me a private missive, and I will reply. So, onward and upward, and here's the rest of the episode. Fortunately for me, I recently ran across a wonderful website that has gone up relatively recently in about the last year. It's called Gnosticism Explained, and it's being written by a fellow named Daniel McCoy. And he says he's not a Gnostic, that he just likes to write about Gnosticism. But his insights and his scholarship are wonderful, and I think that his website is what I've been waiting for to help me distinguish this issue of Sethian versus Valentinian Gnosticism. I'm letting him do all the heavy lifting as far as the research goes. And what I'm presenting to you is right out of his website. I wrote to him. I asked permission to lift his beautiful words and use them in my podcast. And he said to go for it. But I recommend that everyone go to his website, which again is called Gnosticism Explained. In his own words, his website strives to provide a reliable, accessible, and engaging introduction to the type of early Christianity known as Gnosticism, with scholarly sources cited throughout. He's also taking the various books out of the Nag Hammadi and retranslating them from English into more understandable English, in a similar manner that I did with the Valentinian Tripartite Tractate in my own book, The Gnostic Gospel Illuminated. So he is doing a whole series of Gnostic translations at his website. Daniel also does a very good job of explaining the history of the early Gnostics and as I said, he's using good scholarship and footnotes and taking information from various books that we are already familiar with, such as Layton and Brachy's The Gnostic Scriptures and The Nag Hammadi Scriptures, edited by Marvin Meyer. Now, Daniel usually refers to Sethians as classic Gnostics instead of the term Sethian because these early Gnostics, these classical Gnostics, did not refer to themselves as Sethian. The term Sethian actually originated with a 3rd century heresiologist, and a heresiologist is obviously someone who studies heresies. The term Sethian was coined by Hippolytus of Rome, the heresiologist. But the group actually just called themselves Gnostics. The reason why various heresiologists and scholars call the classical Gnostics Sethians is because of their emphasis upon the third son of Adam and Eve, who was called Seth. The fourth and fifth chapters of Genesis of the Old Testament of the Bible speaks that after Abel was murdered by Cain, Eve became pregnant again, and she named that son Seth. Genesis 5.3 says that when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Now Sethians, or as Daniel likes to call them, the classic Gnostics, part of their creation mythology is that Archons had raped Eve shortly after she was created, but Eve's spirit had left her body before the rape began, and that this purely fleshly intercourse between the Archons and Eve produced two fleshly sons. Later, Eve had voluntary sex with Adam, and because it was voluntary and loving, their spirits, their spiritual likenesses were fully intact and present. We would say the one was within them, and then the one was transferred into the offspring. Seth was conceived as another seed, a spiritual seed, and we call that spiritual seed again, the one. And it encapsulates the fullness of God. And then it's said that the sons of Adam and Eve founded races of people according to whether or not they possessed the spiritual seed. See, right off the bat here, I begin to disagree with the cosmology as laid out by the Sethians. I have a Valentinian perspective, and in my Valentinian perspective, Life itself can only be brought through the One. You can't have archons who are immaterial beings. They are not physical. How can an archon rape a human? How can she become pregnant by an archon and give birth to a child that has no vessel of the One being carried in it? It isn't possible. It would have to be a type of virgin birth, obviously, since there aren't two people involved, and it would be an evil or archonic virgin birth. The Sethian mythology says that Eve's one spirit had departed from her by that time. Now we think that if your one departs, then you are essentially dead, Your parts of your body might still be going because each of the parts of your body, each of the living parts of your body from the cells on up, those are the property of the fullness of God. They are inhabited and organized and run through the one spirit of God. So it's difficult for me as a Valentinian to imagine how it is that an archon can impregnate a human woman. And how her spirit could have left her first, that would be the Archon impregnating a dead human woman. It just doesn't quite make sense to me. The classical mythology of Sethianism goes on to say that the sons of Adam and Eve formed different races of humans, according to whether or not they possessed that one drop of the Spirit of God. And since no spirit had been uh, imparted into Abel or Cain, their races only cared for sensory pleasure and earthly well-being, and had no capacity for serious spirituality. But since the race of Seth was carrying the one Holy Spirit, then it is a spiritual race, And it can achieve gnosis and commune with the fullness of God. So Sethians tend to believe that there is a spiritual race of humans on this planet. And if you're a believer, then you believe that you are of that spiritual race. And that there is another race of humans on the planet that have no capacity for spirit because they do not have the fullness of God within them. And this is where I would strongly differ with the Sethian cosmology. I would say that, yeah, we can easily observe that there are spiritual types of people and unspiritual types of people, but that everyone will be redeemed. And just the fact that the human is alive and walking around on this planet means that they are carrying with them the seed of the fullness of God but they, their eyes are blind, their ears are deaf, they do not perceive the holiness of their instantiation. They are only identifying with the work of the Demiurge, with this physical, material, sensory plane. But I wouldn't say they don't have the capacity for it, because even the Sethians believe that a person can take upon themselves the one spirit of God, and that that will change them from the race of the unspiritual into the race of Seth. So, in that sense, we could see that this would be simply a matter of awakening to gnosis, or awakening to one's essentially godly origins. But not that they are of a different type. Now, if we really wanted to go out on a limb here, we could imagine that the original race of humans, the um, Cain and Abel, maybe they were proto-humans. Maybe this is an ancient way of discussing the difference between Neanderthals and uh, Homo sapiens, or any other, plug in any other proto-human pre-Homo sapien race. Those could be the original, quote, sons of the Archons, so to speak although I don't think it would have happened the way they said. But if you want to refer to a type of human that has no capacity for rational thought or realizing that they are the fruit of the fullness of God, and then those are possibly animalistic type of, quote, humans, that would be proto-humans. And then there was definitely a jump about 50,000 years ago is what... uh, Archaeologists believe that there was a huge jump in our brain capacity and suddenly our forebrains grew and we became rational reasonable modern humans. Maybe those modern humans are the children of Seth is a way of putting it as opposed to the earlier protohumans that were wiped out in the flood. That it would be a different way of looking at that concept. But it doesn't really say that in any of these books. That's just me wondering out loud. However, the idea of belonging to the race of Seth caused the early classical Gnostics to believe they were set apart from the other people around them, that they were a special race. The other seed from which Seth had come was from an incorporeal and incorruptible world that was starkly different from this world. And we call that other world the fullness of God. And the memory of that other world is paradise. So Valentinians would agree with the Sethians on that concept that we down here in this material world, that this is a fallen world, and that it's a poor substitute, a deficient imitation of the fullness of God and paradise. So we are in agreement on that fact. And as I mentioned, both the Sethians and the Valentinians did believe that when a person was baptized as a classic Gnostic, they were reborn or adopted into the race of Seth and Thus, what one chose whether or not to be part of the race of Seth by choosing whether or not to be a Sethian or a classic Gnostic. So baptism conferred the imbuing of the Holy Spirit upon the person and assured their return to the fullness of God and paradise. But if you've been listening to the last year of my podcast episodes, I maintain that Everyone already has the spirit of the fullness of God within every cell of their being. And so everyone is redeemed by the Christ who came to redeem all of us. And it doesn't rely upon being baptized or partaking in any other particular kind of ritual in order to readopt or reawaken this spirit of God that we are inherently imbued with. Gnosis is called remembering and we all are carrying around a dim remembrance of the fullness of God, of our soul's existence prior to being incarnated on this material plane. The Christ redeemed us already, and so we will be returning to the fullness of God. The ancient Gnostic texts that are considered classical Sethian texts, are the following. The secret book of John, Zostrianos, Allogenes, Marsanis, the book of Zoroaster, the revelation of Adam, the reality of the rulers, the three forms of the first thought, the holy book of the great invisible spirit, also known as the gospel of the Egyptians, the three steles of Seth, Melchizedek, and the thought of Norea. All of those texts share readily identifiable features that seem to point to a distinct social identity, such as an emphasis on the figure of Seth and the particulars of their cosmology. So why don't we go ahead and jump over to the Secret Book of John and look at that cosmology and compare it to the Valentinian cosmology we've become so familiar with over here at Gnostic Insights. The Secret Book of John says that in the beginning was the Father, that is the illimitable before God, bigger than any god. And that Father, it's the same way we describe the Father in Valentinian Gnosticism, and I generally say that that is consciousness itself. And the Father was sitting there all alone. There's nothing going on. There's no creations yet. And the Father is, so to speak, staring out into emptiness around him, which the book of John describes as a luminous spiritual water. And the Father sees a reflection of itself. In the Valentinian scriptures, We call that first reflection of the self, the son, or the child of the father. In this Sethian Gnosticism, they call it the barbello, B-A-R-B-E-L-O, and they give it a female gender. Of course, you know from having heard from me, I don't think there is such a thing as gender in the fullness of God. There's no bodies, there's no sex, there's no gender. The barbello is also known as the mother, pronoia, forethought, because she was the first thought of the father. And again, that's what we have been referring to as the son or the bucket dipped into the ocean of consciousness. It then says that the father gazed into barbello and she conceived by him. And this is interesting how this is put. It seems as though in the ethereal plane, that the way new creatures, and creatures ethereal creatures, not creatures like us, but uh, still immaterial ethereal creatures, the way they procreate is by looking at one another with love and glorifying one another with love. And the act of looking with love and glory upon another gives rise to a combination of those entities that were gazing at each other and loving each other. So, when the father gazed at Barbello, or at the son, this immediately gave rise to the fullness of God, to all of the eons of God. It says that the father gazed into Barbello and she conceived by him. She gave birth to a spark of light similar to the Father's light. Now they call that spark of light the Son, which is the self-generated, also called the autogenes, since he was identical with the Father. It also says he is further called the Christ, a name greater than every other name. So here is where we have the Son of God being the same as Christ. And that is straight Christian theology. If you go to church, you always hear that the Christ is the Son of God. In Valentinianism, the Christ is a different creation than the Son of God. The Son is the first creation of the Father, and out of the Son comes the fullness of God, and then out of the fullness comes the Christ. But here, in this Sethian version, the Christ is identified with the Son, and this is the child of Barbello and the Father. And then, in that manner by which these ethereal beings create, the Son glorified his father and mother. And out of that loving glory arose the fullness of God. Just as Barbello had asked the one to give her new eons, the son asked to be given another eon. And this eon, this child of the father and the mother, is called mind. The mind wanted to bring something else into being through the father's word, and will was born, followed by word. So you see, these children of the ethereal, they are not necessarily the way we would think of children or people. They are concepts. They are aspects of the Father, such as will or the word. And the word is Logos, by the way. That's another word for the eon called Logos. And Logos figures prominently in the Valentinian scriptures because Logos is the eon who falls and creates our material existence. But the Sethians, or these classical Gnostics, they had a slightly different version of the fall. We'll get to that in in a moment. Now, the Sethian originating cosmology here has a lot more characters, a lot more names, than the Valentinian version, because what they are doing is giving names to those first eons that were formed by the early aspects of God giving glory to itself. And their eons that they give birth to are names like grace, truth, form, insight, perception, and memory, understanding, love, idea, perfection, peace, and wisdom. And wisdom, in Greek, is known as Sophia. Continuing to give glory to one another, the next eon that was formed is called the Perfect Human, what we could call the Proto-Homo Sapien. And this Perfect Human was known as Pigerodimus, uh, which means Adam the Stranger, or Holy Adam, or Old Adam, who came into being in the fullness of God and gave glory to the Father. And this Adam gave glory to the Father, and in the ethereal plane had a son named Seth. And Seth was set in a place that would preside over the souls of the saints. Now, in the Valentinian cosmology that we've been developing, this place that where the souls of the saints dwell in the fullness that is identified as the original church and the third order of powers, the elect. So the elect sit right up there at the top of the hierarchy, and in this Sethian cosmology, Seth is the leader of the elect. But uh, the other humans, the souls of those who are not already saints, and saints would be people who while walking around in this material world, are able to realize fully their relationship to the Father above and the fullness of God, to have a clear and present knowledge or gnosis of the fullness in the Father. And those are the saints, and that is called the elect or the original church that dwells up above. The other people who do not have this remembrance of gnosis who are unwilling to remove their egos from the throne of their soul, these other people will also return to the fullness at the end of time, but they live in a slightly different place. They are given the place of their own within the eon known as Eloleth, rather than the eon known as Seth. In my diagrams, if you take a look at my triangular diagram It's the blue-green area where all of us second-order powers dwell. That would be the Aeon of Eloleth. And up near the very top, in amongst those golden areas, that would be the Aeon of Seth. Now, the Sethian cosmology says that the Aeon known as Sophia, she looked at all these beautiful Aeons coming into being, all of these new creatures, and... She wanted to give birth to her own new being. See, the thing is, you have to be looking with glory upon the Father and this other eon. That is the way the eons make love, through the glory of combining their spirits with the blessing of the Father. But Sophia, in this cosmology, decided to have her own baby all by herself, a sort of a virgin birth within the fullness of God. It's like masturbation, in a sense, right? Rather than being with a partner, it's just all within yourself. And she did conceive in that manner, and she gave birth to a son called Yaldabaoth. And because this new entity had been conceived by Sophia all by herself, Yaldabaoth in no way resembled the other eons in the fullness of God. Instead, it was hideous and misshapen. It says it was like a snake with a lion's head, and its eyes burned like lightning. So because she was afraid of it, and so ashamed of what she had done, she cast Yaldabaoth out of the fullness of God. She pushed him out, and it was the fall of Yaldabaoth that was the fall that creates this material universe. And because of Yaldabaoth's foolishness, he was wicked and ignorant of where he came from. He belligerently proclaimed, I am God and there is no other God beside me. And he gave birth to 12 archons who then generated new archons and then there were eventually 365 archons one to rule over each day of the year. So, this is your Sethian cosmology. In Valentinian cosmology, the eon who falls is not Sophia or her son Yaldabaoth, but rather the eon known as Logos. It's more heretical to modern Christians to think that, because in the Bible it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was nothing that was formed that was without this word. And that word, of course, is logos. And so the Valentinian cosmology implies that it's the son of God who falls and creates this horrible world, who becomes the Demiurge. But in the Sethian version, it is only Yaldabaoth who falls, who gets kicked out. And Sophia immediately repents, just as in the Valentinian version, Logos immediately repents. And both Sophia and Logos turn to the fullness and the Father for the salvation of the Christ to save their aborted creations down here below. So they both now pick up with the Demiurge, they both pick up with the Archons, although the Sethian version gives much more um, detail to the Archons, as I said, the 365 Archons. I happen to think there's a lot more Archons than 365, but perhaps they are spin-offs of those original 365. It really doesn't much matter. Obviously, they're trying to tie in the calendar of the year into this cosmology, right? They're, they're bringing it all together, and that's why there's 365, one for each day of the year. Now, here's a similarity. Even though in the Sethian version, it's Sophia and Yaldabaoth who fall and create this material world, and in the Valentinian version, it's Logos who falls and creates this material world. They both declare that the reason the Demiurge, and that would be either the fallen Logos or Yaldabaoth, the reason that the Demiurge is able to create this fallen world is because the Demiurge contained within itself the pattern, the blueprint, of the entire fullness of God. So each of these separate characters Characteristics of the Father were carried within, but I say at a smaller and I say fractal scale, the entirety of the fullness of God. So that is why we have this material world that resembles paradise. Paradise is up there and it's the fullness of paradise, it's the actual manifestation of the eons of the fullness of God is on the ethereal plane. The fullness sitting together, all giving glory as one mind and one voice to the Father. This dreams up and creates paradise. But they're big, giant eons. What we have down here below are fractals of those big, giant eons. What we have here below are imitations. And that's why it's called the deficiency, because they're little versions of They're like toy eons. They're like little matchbox cars that is a model of a big car. So the Archons are based upon the models of the eons, but they're small and disorganized, and they don't remember anything. They certainly are stupid and illogical. That's why the Demiurge has to run them with strict controls. The Archons do not have free will. There's no free will in this material down here. It all belongs to Yaldabaoth, or the Demiurge. The free will exists in the fullness of the Father, of the fullness of God. And we, according to Valentinianism, we are second-order fruits, given the blessing of the integrity of the fullness and the Father. So we are carrying all those parts within us, too. We're carrying all the little models of the fullness of God, of all the eons, that is the one self that we all carry within us, that we all share. But because we were created by the pleroma gazing at each other and gazing at the Father and the Son, and all these looks of love and glory going back and forth, all of them all together created us as the fruit, and we carry that within us. That's what our drop of the Spirit of God is. And that's what animates the world below, which is why I have a hard time picturing Eve being raped by archons onto her dead body. It just, uh, it just doesn't seem to, to make any sense. Okay, well, that's what I am making from the differences between the Sethians and the Valentinians. Modern Gnostics who call themselves Sethians take a lot out of the ancient book of the Egyptians, take a lot out of uh, the study of Hermes and the Hermeticists of ancient Egypt, and they believe that that is what was brought forth and brought forward into history and what became the classical Gnostic Sethians. But that is not my form of Gnosticism, because what you have for me here, it's almost like one of the ancient heresiologists looking at Sethianism from the outside, whereas when I look at Valentinianism, I look at it from the inside. Okay, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for spending this time with me. And we're going to go onward and upward and go forward into our second year of the Gnostic Insights podcast. If you've only recently joined us, go to the website GnosticInsights.com and go to the Gnostic Primer tab and then go to the Complete Episodes tab And this will fill you in on the entire cosmology and theology of Valentinian Gnosticism. And there at the GnosticInsights.com website for this episode, I'll put the link to Daniel McCoy's website. He's done a very good job, as I say, of laying all of this out with footnotes and whatnot. Onward and upward, and God bless.